Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid. And today I have, gosh, a guest from Hawaii. That's exciting. Never thought I would say that. Carissa Cabrera is joining us from Hawaii. And by the way, I think there is a storm there now, so signal is not the best. But we have Carissa. Oh, and so many things I want to tell you about Carissa. Carissa is a marine conservation biologist. Yeah, that's a mouthful for someone that English is not their first language. And the founder of the Conservationist Collective, which is a communication platform that empowers everyone to become more educated about the issues our oceans face. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Carissa realized this was her moment, her moment to combine social media with activism to reach people across the world and remind them that they have a role to play. She was fascinated to see how people responded to the canals in Venice clearing up, to deers roaming in city streets, to nature saying, hi, I'm reclaiming back what's mine. I was here first. So I am excited to hear from Hawaii today what Carissa, what you've been doing in the last year or two on global fixing, specifically on oceans, and what can each of us learn and do? Welcome, Carissa. It's great to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk more about it. I feel very strongly that fear is a good driving force for growth. So I'm very excited to talk more about it with you. Fantastic. And Carissa, so you are now in Hawaii. Can you give us just a a bit of a feel what it's like there at the moment? Yeah, I'm based on the island of Oahu, which is one of the main Hawaiian islands. So hold on, I have a garbage truck passing by my (laughs) street, so I'm going to wait for it. It's just going to be a moment. It's around 6 a.m. right now, so that's why this is happening. (laughs) Right now, we're staying a lot at home, and it's very beautiful. It's summertime here, and... uh, sunshine and near the ocean. So I love living here. I've been here about five or six years now. Wonderful. One of the reasons that I really was keen on getting to know you, apart from the fact that we follow you on TikTok at home, my daughter and myself, my 15-year-old daughter (laughs) and myself, now I'm also on TikTok, you can check me out, um, is that I'm intrigued and curious to understand from the outside, you know, sometimes when I watch your your videos and your content, you know, one could think that you are living this beautiful life in a ocean paradise in Hawaii. And for anyone that's not looking a bit deeper or, or, or being more curious, the picture from outside could just look beautiful, which it is many times. But then what is going underneath your project is fighting for life. It's fighting for life for species, for creatures that are dying, that are injured, and you're really there to save lives of animal in the ocean. So I'm really curious to hear from you more about that potential, you know, tension, but I guess those two are very much part of your life. So I'm going to hand over to you and ask you, Carissa, who are you? Let's hear it. For those of you listening that may not know what she's referring to, I am a marine biologist based in Hawaii, and a lot of my background stems from endangered species conservation. And so I'm actually originally from Arizona, which is a landlocked state, and it was in that time that I was really always intrigued to be a marine biologist, but it felt far away for me. And it wasn't until I moved to Hawaii for graduate school that I was really able to dive into the things that I'm most passionate about, which is 
bringing species back from the edge of extinction is how I describe it. And so you refer to my TikTok and absolutely all social media feeds tend to be very curated and never seem to tell the whole story. And it's mainly a tool for me to help get people excited about the ocean and help people get excited about these animals that they might not know anything about, especially um, young people, which is the reason that I got on the app in the first place. And I guess independent from marine biology, I'm someone who loves being outside. I'm someone who loves spending time with my family. I'm someone who really likes spending as much time in the present moment as I can. And the thing with being a marine conservationist, and a lot of my friends and colleagues share this sentiment, is that it's hard to turn off. It's more like a vocation. It's not like a job that you leave during the day because it's something that stays with you and it's your interests are outside working hours all the time. And so I would say it's given me a lot of fulfillment to have a purpose like that. When young girls or really young people at all will ask me like, oh, well, how do I find that passion or how do I find that purpose? Like, I think you know when it hits you. And I knew when it hit me. I was 16 when I realized that I was probably going to be a marine biologist. And it was very immediate and very sudden. And it was a very formative experience that I remember. And it's been 11 years since then. And I'm still here. It's really beautiful that you touch on the fact that you discovered your purpose and, you know, in many ways, how lucky you were, A, to discover your purpose and then to take action on it. I mean, we're not going to have enough time to hear all about your sea stories, but could you share one or two memorable, meaningful experiences that you had? Absolutely. When I first moved to Hawaii, I was learning so much about the dolphins and whales and seals and other species that live here. And I was working at this time in a stranding lab. And strandings are when animals come up on the beaches for whatever reason, because of something that is wrong oftentimes. And I was very taken aback at how upsetting it can be for me to see a dolphin or a whale that has died as a result of human actions. And I have this extremely formative experience when it was my one of my first strandings ever and it ended up being a mass stranding, which is where many individuals come ashore. And they were short fin pilot whales, which are very social animals. And so they have strong bonds with one another. And therefore, if one will come onto the beach, oftentimes others will too, even if something's not wrong with the others because of their relationships. And so I remember we were attempting to figure out why this happened. And in our journey, trying to answer those questions, we found so much rubbish in the stomach of one pilot whale. Uh, It was about 22 pounds of fishing gear and plastic bags and just normal things, normal things that we use in our everyday lives that maybe we didn't think about ending up in the ocean. And While I know that can be so hard to hear or to have described, it was something that I really look back and realize that I needed to see because it drastically changed my day-to-day behavior and how I prioritized what types of items that I chose at the grocery store or in my day-to-day life. And it's a very removed thing to see something like that and something that only stranding responders who work in a lab might see. But It's something that I hope we can all think a little bit more about. 
And while that was one of the more sadder experiences, I've had so many joyful experiences in the ocean too that have also stayed with me. One of them was the first time that I saw a humpback whale and their calf. We have humpback whales that come here half of the year to um, mate and give birth every single winter. And they're going to be here in a few months. And I remember being out on the water with my partner, actually, and me and him were just trying to kayak. We were just exploring. And off in the distance, we ended up seeing a, a mother and a calf. And I had never seen a humpback whale that close before. I had never seen a baby. I felt so small, but I also felt so connected and and like I was exactly where I needed to be at that moment because it was one of the best shared experiences that I've ever had, especially with my partner. And those are so different experiences, one of mm -hmm. ending and opening absolutely a, a body and and seeing what's inside. How do you prep for an experience like that when you it's an autopsy emotionally? Yes, yes, of course, not the graphic details, but would it be would it be right Carissa to say that this is an autopsy on mm -hmm. on an animal? So can you yeah. how did you prep for this yes emotionally? How did you manage after that and did you develop um I guess don't want to say resilience, but I guess it wasn't just a one-off experience. So how do you do that? Yeah, it's um it's 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 hard to prepare for that emotionally. I'm someone who's very empathetic and I'm also a very emotional person. I've always been that way. And I noticed that the people around me were able to handle this type of experience with less emotion. And you almost need to dissociate in some way to do the job that is at hand. But then afterwards, it tends to come up. And then I think that's when I lean on those experiences that I described earlier, where I hold space for myself by being in the present moment, by going outside, and also by talking about it. Because when I'm talking about these types of experiences with other people who understand, it makes you feel less alone. Absolutely. And loneliness is something that is... Always a, a difficult and challenging feeling. And I think especially in the last year and a half, two years, people have been feeling lonely for new reasons. And I guess when you go on a new journey or when you try new things and you don't know exactly how you get there, unless you have, as you say, a support system or you develop a support system, you can feel really lonely and that could be tough. I think that managing loneliness is a skill that we're not necessarily built for because it can be so sad, but you can do things to set yourself up to manage loneliness better. And like you said, this past year has been so hard on all of us. I know it was hard on me and leaning back on those daily habits that help you feel less lonely, whether it's a conversation like this, which definitely helped me today, or spending more time with yourself is um, one of the best things. In my book, one of my favorite quotes is by Mark Twain when he says that the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. So was there a day that you found out why or are there more than one whys once you discover yeah. your purpose? I love that quote too. <laughs> I, I, I think about it often. I think that 
yes, there was definitely a day that I remember that I decided that I was going to pursue it as at least a career. But I also agree with what you're saying about there's many days and you're constantly reminded if you're on, in my opinion, like the right path. And so at this point in time, I was in high school. I was 16 years old and I was planning to be a photographer at this time. And I had been taking many classes. I I love photography. It's interesting because it's coincided a lot with my work now. And I watched this documentary that was actually an assignment that I got to choose for an English class. And it was called The Cove. It's about dolphins and the captivity industry and a area in Taiji, Japan, where dolphins are captured for the entertainment industry. And it's very well done film. And I would highly recommend anyone to watch it. It's extremely emotional. And uh, I was just, I remember watching that film and realizing like, oh, this is what I'm going to be doing now to try to help create a safer environment for animals and also to help species like dolphins and whales and seals and sea turtles and all of these animals that are threatened by humans in some way help survive better. And it wasn't a new concept at that time. I mean, we had the Save the Whales movement in the 90s that I was a child in, and I feel as though it was like a natural extension of I already had a very strong relationships with animals and I loved the ocean and it felt like a natural next step. But to your point, I am reminded constantly. I was just reminded this past week why I do what I do. You know, it's not just one experience. It's really a combination of reinforcement. I feel that I'm doing the right thing and I'm living aligned with my values, which is like one of the most important things for me in my life. So going back to your purpose, can you help us imagine when you're in it, you're fulfilling it, take us to the ocean. What are you doing? Where are you physically? What's going on in your mind when you feel, I was born, going back to Mark Twain, I was born to do this or to be here. Another beautiful saying that I love from the wisdom, from the Jewish wisdom, is that the day you were born was the day that the world was missing you. Exactly you, Carissa. There was a day that you were born and just the world needed you to be complete in that moment. And every single day, the world continues to miss us. So can you help us imagine where are you and what are you doing when you are fulfilling yourself? Yeah, I would love to share an experience that I feel like is me in nirvana when it comes to my purpose. For those of you that don't know, there's a significant amount of fishing gear that is polluting our ocean, and it can be a source of entanglement hazards for animals. And so I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to create a marine debris, which is what it's termed, removal program on Oahu, the first one ever that was focused on fishing gear. And I trained people to remove that gear in a safe way. And we worked together. And I always remember every single dive that I did as part of that program, as part of the dive lead for those individuals. I remember feeling like I was exactly where I needed to be in that moment, doing exactly what I was meant to do because I was bringing people together. I was helping them feel, you know, a community, but also I was giving them the tools to do what they needed to do. And I was guiding them in through it and I was in the ocean. And so these types of experiences are unique to each person. But for me, 
being underwater, leading people down a path that helps be lighter to the planet and creating a safe environment for them to do so and for them to grow in that direction is exactly what I want to cultivate in my life. And that's just one example of an in-person experience that I was able to create with the opportunities I've been given. But now I try to do that through educational videos or through conversations like this one. And I think the more people who lean into those parts of themselves and those parts of those experiences that they love, we're going to have a more fulfilled community overall. I love that. You know, Carissa, one of the uh, principles that I love about the Jewish wisdom, which, you know, is um, I find truly inspiring as a universal wisdom, an ancient wisdom to help us navigate through life, is the idea in Hebrew, it's called tikkun, which means repair. And it's a repair of oneself internally, but it's also a repair of, of the world around you and really seeing one's role in this world to repair themselves and to repair the world. It's a very important task and in many ways why we were created, but it could also be extremely tiring when you're seeing things that need repair, either within yourself or with the world around you. So do you ever get tired of seeing all those things that need correction? Oh, absolutely. It can be exhausting, as I'm sure you can empathize with in, in other areas of life. When I was studying this, so in theory, you know, marine biology is advertised through things like National Geographic and David Attenborough, and it, it, there's a certain idea associated with what the work looks like. And it wasn't until I was a few years into my studies at university that I was realizing actually that this wasn't really about studying and answering questions as much as it's now about conservation because of the way that the ocean is threatened right now. And it was during those series of courses that I was taking that I really realized the state of how serious the conditions were. And, um, and becoming someone who's then studying that, it quickly turned into conservation. So it went from marine biology, the study of it, to conservation, to protecting it, because us as students were exposed to how much that was the priority. And so during that time in my life, and, and up till now, it still happens, there's so many times when you feel drained, you feel exhausted. Um, I'm a really empathetic person. And so it's easy to carry the weight of other things going on in the world. And it's also very challenging when you do have the scientific understanding of what is happening because it can feel out of your control. And it can also feel as though you want everyone to care and you don't know how to make them care. And there's just a lot of emotions associated with, I think, working in a environmental field or, or really a field that helps people or something a little bit more intense emotionally. And so we have a term for it in the field. It's called uh, eco-anxiety. And so there's a lot of recent discussions, which I'm so happy is being brought into the conversation about taking care of your mental health, especially if you work in environmental activism spaces and taking time for rest and unplugging to go spend time outside to remind yourself why you do the things that you do. Because it's not until you have that balance that you're able to really take in the new information that might be upsetting 
and not let it affect you. I mean, that comes with experience and practice. And I would say I'm at a really great space with it now. But, you know, in my earlier years, it was definitely a huge challenge for me. And it's something that is going to be like a lifelong learning process, I believe. So building on the phrase that you just shared, I guess it was recently coined about Mm -hmm. eco-anxiety, which is a very strong, you know, just even saying eco-anxiety, one can immediately imagine what it could feel like. I guess the other side of that coin or what complements it is how to develop resilience. And one of the things that you said that could be, and maybe I'm kind of completing what you started saying, is that it could be frustrating when people don't care. So how do you deal with that frustration when you can see something, but you need to get people to care? So it doesn't seem to bother others as much as it. I know it had bothered me. Like some people are very removed from it, but my ultimate career path has been to help get people to care. So marine biologists have, you know, these crossroads and they can go into research and answer questions and scientifically through publications. And I went into education and outreach, which is a scientific, I call it bridge building. So I work in marine science communication because I want other people to understand what's going on and also to, you know, to care. And so one of those is through TikTok, which you see and your daughter is seen. But before the age of social media, it was going into classrooms and talking to kids about the ocean and helping to get them excited. And so I've taken ownership over developing communication skills that hopefully excite people about the ocean and have positive messaging around them because I learned very early on that negative messaging and shame-focused messaging simply isn't effective when it comes to rallying support around the ocean. And that's kind of how I've managed trying to get people to care is I've develop skills to communicate with them about the ocean in a way that hopefully makes them at least think about it is the goal. That is beautiful. So you're helping your followers or people that you educate develop maybe a new relationship or just even acknowledging the fact that there is a relationship to be built. I love the fact that just the way you share your story is about taking action. And one of the things that I really believe in and I write in the book and every chapter in my book and what would you do if you weren't afraid ends with a practice, with a coaching section. And it's called, if you change nothing, nothing will change. And I think that invites each of us, regardless of where we are in life and what we're doing, if we're hoping for something different and we're not doing something to see something different, nothing would change. Why would it? So I think we are completely agreeing on that from our different perspectives. I'd love to hear from you, you know, Carissa, we're going to have listeners from different places in the world with different backgrounds, areas of passion, and some people will going to be listening to us because what they want to do is grow. They want to grow as people. They want to grow as leaders. They want to grow as part of their role as being part of a community. So if you take the principles that you learned from, as you said, discovering your purpose and trying to bring them to life in a more generic way, if someone that has an area of passion uh, that is different to yours, what advice could you give to the 15, 16-year-old once you discover that thing that feels inside you that this is your thing? How can you bring it to life? All of the most amazing experiences that I've been able 
to share in my life, moving to Hawaii, relationships ending that I thought wouldn't, these things that always seem so scary were the catalyst for growth in my life. I had never even been here or been in Hawaii before I moved here. And that was terrifying for me. But this was the best, one of the best things that I could have done in my early adult life. And for people listening that might feel fearful of change or of these uncomfortable chapters in life that you might not have as much control over as you want, I would say that they're probably blessings and you'll look back on them later in life and realize how much they helped you become the person you are. And so if you can lean into them in the moment, because they will end up being something you're so grateful for later. And what you said really resonated with me about how we can bring this down to our everyday lives. And if you want something to change, you can't wait for it. You have to be the person who makes it happen. And I always, I tell young girls this, like, it's up to you to make opportunities happen for yourself because you're the one who's taking ownership over your own life. And a great example is my morning routine. So I ended up wanting to incorporate more gratitude into my life. And I knew that it would change my perspective, especially during the past year when I felt like many things were out of my control. And the first thing I do when I wake up every morning, you know, in a perfect world, it would be like journal and write all these things and all my thoughts down. But I just met myself where I'm at. And the first thing I do when I open my eyes is I think of three to five things that I'm grateful for. And I just say them in my head. I don't do anything else. And that practice is something that I had control over that seemed super uncomfortable and something I didn't necessarily want to do the first handful of times I did it. And now has become a daily routine that's changed my entire perspective on life. And so when you think about things that make you scared, think about them as growth opportunities, I guess is what I would say. Thank you, Carissa. And I have one question. I wasn't planning asking this question, but just listening to you. Is there something about the human nature, about humans being together with each other, that you actually learned more about through your learning of animals? So something that you observed animals and you're actually taking it to your human life with other people. That's a great question. I think it goes back to relationships. We're social creatures and many, many animals are too. And I guess similar to the whale that I described earlier, having those bonds and those relationships with other individuals is a net positive. Not because you're able to survive better, but because it adds value to your human experience that you necessarily wouldn't have otherwise. I know we're independent and we want to go it alone sometimes, but I think that being able to lean on relationships and prioritize strong, deep relationships is something we see in the animal kingdom all the time and that we could take a lesson or two from. Love it. And going back to the question that we've been mentioning a few times during our conversation today, which is what would you do if you weren't afraid? So today, where you are in your life, what would you do if you weren't afraid now? What would I do if I wasn't afraid right now? If I wasn't afraid right now, I would probably sell all of my things and I would go to a little beach town that I have visited many times and I've always wanted to live and I would move there with my dog. 
that's exactly what I would do. <laughs> I'm tempted to ask you what's in your way to do that, but I feel that would probably be a bit <laughs> too much. To... <laughs> I, I want to make it a reality, and I feel as though I know that it's something I'm going to do, and I know it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Thank you, Carissa. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me. And even though, as we said, we're far away physically, but I feel like we found a connection. Thank you so much for sharing with us your life journey, really. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for allowing me to share these thoughts I have with others because I hope that they can help someone and I can't wait to, to hear more. Absolutely. Thank you. Wow, Carissa, first of all, please stay safe. I'm seeing in the news now what's happening in Hawaii and now I understand a bit more all the noises that we heard in the background. So please firstly stay safe. And what did we have today? We had dolphins and dogs and different kinds of wild animals and wild experiences and love and heartbreak and feelings and journeys and leaving things and people behind. We had so much to think about and reflect after listening to you today, Carissa. What I'm taking today, well, I'm taking many things, but very specifically, my reflection firstly is about the issues that are your life mission, the issues that should, and I say should, will now be closer to my heart. And one reflection point I have is, how can I start caring about things that are maybe not my everyday, but they are critical for the planet, for the younger generation, for the world. And what can I do about those things? In this case, it's the oceans. In another case, it could be something else. How can I start owning world problems and supporting people that are trying to fix it? The other reflection point I have is about how we never know what's going on in people's lives. Because, Carissa, when I look at your socials and your TikTok and your Instagram and You know, you're out there, you're in on beautiful beaches with beautiful scenery and you're swimming and you're communicating and there's often music in the background. And I could be misled to think that, well, that's all easy, right? She's changing the world, but it's fun. And how often we miss the real story behind the story, which is it's a lot of hard work. Waking up early, cleaning the rubbish from the ocean, which is what you do getting people to sponsor and support and help you build your organization, getting people to volunteer. There is so much hard work that goes behind a great mission. And my reflection point is, can I be more empathetic to the hard work that goes behind every project that I see? And how can I start helping other projects and people on the journey? Carissa, I love that we learned from you so many things today and specifically the call to action, the owning it, the making things happen. And as you know, I'm a huge believer in taking action and every chapter in my book ends with, if you change nothing, nothing will change. And you know, I'm hugely passionate about taking action. The thing is that there is fear. So how often do we want to do something? We aspire to do something. We're passionate about something, but then we're unsure. Will it work? Will I fail? And then we're afraid and then we don't do. So my coaching question for you today is to identify the specific fear that you have that is in your way 
of taking action. Maybe action for a cause, action for doing something that will make this world a better place, or you, a better version of yourself. What are you afraid of? Can you write that down? Can you reflect on that? Can you let go of some of the fear and instead take action? Can you share this with someone? Could you consult? That's your coaching question for today. What is in your way from taking action and growing to make yourself and the world a better place? Thank you for listening to What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid? My name is Michal Oshman, and I was so thrilled to host Carissa Cabrera with us today, all the way from Hawaii. Thank you for listening to us. And if you are curious, which I am sure you are, about the role that you can take in perfecting the world, looking after our oceans and our environment, please do follow Carissa. I love following her on TikTok, but Carissa Cabrera is on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. And oh, you can follow her uh, website and really learn from her on what is needed now. Thank you so much for all the incredible people that make this podcast happen. Thank you to our executive producer, Alex Hollins, Carrie Luter, our head of production, Leo Schick, our assistant producer, and Lucy Ditchmont, who is producing this show for Storyglass. Thank you so much. If you'd like to find out more about the concepts that we speak about on our podcast, about your soul, about how to find meaning, about replacing fear with purpose. You are welcome to purchase my book or download What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid by Michal Oshman. That's me. And I'd love to get your feedback on our podcast. So please do share, review, give me feedback so we can grow and improve 